the lockdowns in Canada have gone uh, on a lot longer, a lot okay. longer than the United States. You know, when this COVID was in full swing, say about a year ago, right. I was, you know, I was, I did some runs down to, uh, to Detroit and Chicago, Kentucky and so on. And I was, uh, my, I, you know, I was, had that deer in the headlight look because I saw so very few people wearing masks and I saw people just going about their, their daily business, right? right. At truck stops or wherever. Whereas up in Canada, you know, full mask. You couldn't get into a store without a mask. You couldn't get into a restaurant without a mask. And sports were canceled and so on. So I think the lockdowns in Canada uh, hit harder than the United States, and they were enforced more. If you've been seeing news from north of the border and wondering just what's happening there with so-called Freedom Convoy protests soon entering their third week in Canada and centered in part in the Canadian national capital of Ottawa, but also impeding traffic and or totally shutting down border crossings with blockades and the like, maybe the words you heard at the top explain a little bit of it. That was the voice of Alberta, Canada headquartered owner-operator Mike Murchison. Not a direct participant in those protests, but a clear-eyed watcher of what's going on in Canadian trucking and society, generally speaking. I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of Overdrive Radio, we'll hear much more from Murchison about the protest's origins among truck operators facing down a new COVID-19 vaccination requirement imposed by both the U.S. and Canada on essential travelers across the border, including freight haulers for the first time. Those requirements came into play, as many of you will know, in the latter weeks of January, with a difference in approach in the U.S. when it comes to their own citizens coming back into the country. Canada's vaccination requirements at the border for Canadian citizens required quarantine for any unvaccinated Canadian coming back in. The U.S. did not. Functionally, the Canadian quarantine requirement of returning citizens, at least as it pertains to cross-border commercial haulers, might be something of a ridiculous, at the very least redundant, rule, given each country's vaccination requirements for entry ensure that any cross-border commercial trucker coming back into his or her country will be vaccinated. But... The optics of the Canadian requirement of the country's own citizenry, perhaps, seem to have lent fuel to the fire of the protest effort countrywide there. Likewise, the basic bedrock importance of the U.S. market for a Canadian trucker, which I asked Murchison directly about. Basically, I wondered if the owner-operator might explain the importance from the advantage of his long cross-border experience from both U.S. and Canadian sides. It's huge. It's huge. You have ten times the population. You have yeah. 10 times the consumer there than here, right? Canada trucking domestically, you'll only do so well, you know. Um, and the loads, I would have to say, don't pay as well running domestically okay. in Canada. Because we do have a lot of trucks up here. And we, we, we have a lot of undercutting going on and, you know, backroom competition and so on. Whereas if a Canadian driver were to go to the U.S., he has a bigger market that he can draw from, you know. If he's using uh, the load broker services, you know, get loaded, C.H. Robinson, you right. know, uh, Traffic Tech, whoever it is. He has a bigger market to draw from, and there's always stuff coming out of the United States going into Canada. Always, always. Yep. Depending on what sector you're in, if you're in the deck deck end, over-dimensional, uh, reefer work, van work, there's more loads coming into Canada and loads going out of Canada in the United States. But for an owner-operator, if he makes that decision not to get vaccinated and not 
not to uh, cross the border, then I think he's going to have a hard time when it comes to the bottom line. You know, you can't, a lot of guys over the years have run to the oil patch. The oil patch goes up, everybody's making money, and then it crashes down. That's a cycle. It goes on all the time. It's different this time around because the oil patch isn't out there throwing money around left, right, and center. So a lot of guys look at the oil patch as a saving grace. You know, I can always go put my truck on at the patch. Well, yeah, and it's they not want... there this time. It's, rec- it's recovering. The price of oil per barrel, West Texas, is going up. No, oh, yeah. Right? But the freedom of the flow of money is not happening right now. So... For Canadian owner-operator who's crossing the border, I would say do it. If you don't want to get the vaccine, well, hold out as long as you can. If you choose to get the vaccine, that's your right, and just carry on as business as usual, right? Because at the end of the day, Todd, I mean, an owner-operator is running a business, right? And he has to, at some point through all this, look look at his books every month and look at his accounts payable and accounts receivable and say, you know, I spent three weeks in Ottawa and I haven't made a dollar and I got a truck payment and I got a I got a shop bill to pay and I got a mortgage to pay at some point this is all going to hit home and this is why I, I said earlier in the conversation this is going to change because at some point if you want to remain an owner operator you're going to have to make that tough decision to to leave the protest go back to work and find some other way to support it or stay there and possibly go broke because Contractors aren't paying owner-operators to sit in these protests. I'd say that's something of a sure thing, at least. After a quick break for a word from Overdrive Radio sponsor, First Guard, we'll dive into Murchison's history much more. Keep tuned. First Guard provides commercial truck insurance to leased owner-operators done right. As we've done for more than 80 years, we provide physical damage and non-trucking. Many companies make you pay up to six months of insurance premiums up front, but not First Guard. We bill monthly, so you get quality insurance without needing to pay a lot of cash up front. Go to firstguard.com. That's one guardcom First Guard. We speak trucker. Let's talk. Uh, I'm originally, I'm from Sydney, Nova Scotia, Cape Breton. Uh, I've been living in Coaldale, Alberta, which is about two and a half hours south of Calgary. I'm living here for over oh, 35 years now. I'm married to my wife, Donna. We have two boys, Clayton and Cody. They're both grown. Cody's 29, Clayton's 34. Um, I've been trucking for, for 32 years now. I spent the last 21 as an owner-operator. Um, did a lot of reefer work with the majority of it across Canada and the United States. Uh, most of it was a lot of LTL food and you know frozen and fresh food. Done some uh, done some deck work, done some van work. I'm currently uh, working with a company out of Lethbridge. Uh, we haul granulated fertilizer. We haul that out of uh, southern Alberta area down into Idaho, down to uh, Idaho Falls area. We haul it over to Washington State. Various places there, Othello, Grandview, and around there, and we haul um, uh, fertilizer back out of Idaho, back up to Alberta. So that's what I'm doing right now, and it's uh, it's a good job. Uh, I did reefer for a lot of years and missed a lot of sleep. And uh, two o'clock in the morning, grocery warehouse deliveries, and this is nicer because I actually get my ten hours sleep or my eight hours sleep every night. 
and uh, the ag sector here, they work a little kinder hours, you know. So I'm working in the day and uh, I'm resting at night, which I really enjoy. And how how often does that get you get you back home? Is it um, is it on a, just a weekly basis, or are you getting back uh, multiple times during the week? No, I usually get home uh, maybe a late Friday night or an early Saturday morning, and I'm I'm home till Monday or Sunday night. It's my choice if I want to leave on a Sunday night to to get a head start, you know. Uh, So I'm usually home for the weekends, which is good because I've got one backlogged honeydew list that I've been (laughs) starting to whittle away on. I usually end up doing a rounder and a half, I suppose, you know, Um, because from 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 southern alberta area down to say idaho if you're going down to oh it could be the twin falls area the boise area or you know pocatella area that way either looking at a good 11 to 13 hour drive depending on where you're going you'll spend a day driving you'll unload load uh the next morning and then you'll you'll reload about three three hours away and then make your way back home so i usually end up with uh with three loads a week on the truck. Gotcha. That's how it ends up. And everything, everything you're doing is cross border or, um, or is it, um, some everything. of it, uh, everything? Yeah. No, everything's cross border. Um, I don't do, uh, uh, within the province or within the provinces anymore. This the company that I'm working with. It's strictly cross border. So I get to cross at uh, I get to cross at Sweetgrass Coots there, just south of Lethbridge, where where they're holding that big protest down there now. Um, and I cross at Kingsgate, uh, Eastport, Idaho, Kingsgate, British Columbia. I cross there. Um, so yeah, I'm we're up in the northwestern United States here, and I'm crossing three, four times a week sometimes. One of those regular crossing points owner operator Murchison mentioned at Coots, Alberta, and Sweetgrass, Montana had briefly opened back up for potential crossing the day before we talked, Tuesday earlier this week, about a week and a half into the protests that had been staged there and ultimately blockaded the entire border on the Canadian side. I asked Murchison whether he'd crossed at all through Coots during the protests going on. No, I haven't, but I'll be going through Coots uh, late tomorrow night. I'll be going through Coots. Now, the border was at, the highway was actually blocked off during the first week there, uh, north and southbound. And uh, they negotiated to open up a lane. So they're allowing trucks and, and travelers through one lane. Uh, U.S. and Canada Customs w- w- were closed down there for, for one night because they had the uh, they had the highway blocked, so no traffic was going anywhere. So it's open now. I mean, you could choose to go that way. And they're very peaceful it's a very peaceful protest. Nobody's going to be throwing rocks and, you know, and getting violent with you because you're going, because they understand that some trucks have to keep rolling, right? Because if everybody shut down, if the entire country had shut down, then your store shelves would be empty. Right. So there's guys, there's guys out there working and the, and the protesters and, and members of the freedom convoy, they're okay with that. They don't have a problem with that. When we talked, Murchison had just crossed headed southbound to Washington state though. And by the time he was in position to plan his route back, protesters at Coots had shut everything down again. He had to cross at Del Bonita, Montana, he told me later, well west of Coots. You know, I, I do articles for uh, for a magazine out of Toronto called roadwarriornews.com, mm-hmm. and I've been writing articles about it. 
you know, uh, from how I see it out here on the road and people I've talked to. And I've talked to a lot of people on both sides of the border about what's going on. I'll give you the side that I've seen from the U.S. perspective. A lot of people, and I've talked to not just truck drivers, I've talked to farmers, I've talked to truck stop uh, staff, I've talked to, uh, you know, just anybody I meet along the way. If I feel like asking the question, I'll ask it. I'll ask them what they think of the protest. And everyone that I've asked about it has just given me the opinion that they're they're really glad it happened you know they're proud of people for doing it and they say it's about time and a few of them have said they wish it would happen down here in the united states as well on the canadian side uh, people are very happy it's about time it feels like a great big weight has been lifted off the shoulders of you know canadian citizens and uh they feel like this is very important and they're trying, they're accomplishing something. And now that this, you know, train got rolling, it's not going to stop. Right. At some point, yes. Uh, you know, the convoys and the protesters may have to disassemble. This isn't, this isn't the end of it. You know, they'll find other ways. Uh, every member of, of government on all levels in the country, uh, are aware of what's going on. They heard what's going on and everybody's just kind of scratching their head. Wondering, okay, what next? If we lift the mandate, what's next? When Murchison talks about mandates, it's not just a cross-border vaccine requirement newly imposed on commercial haulers on both sides of the border. He and various other protest factions mean more than that, ultimately. Various provincial mask mandates, school closure efforts, other limitations on business and life and travel in general imposed in ways, as you'll hear a little bit more about later that are a good deal more sweeping than what we've seen on this side of the border, at least where I live and have traveled the last year for sure. Maybe nothing will happen, everything will go back to normal and be fine. Maybe, you know, the COVID virus might increase. It's hard to say. There's there's various health regions, you know, that run the hospitals in different, different provinces that are pressuring the premiers not to lift the mandates because they're overworked already with, with, with backlogs of elective surgeries and, and COVID cases and so on. Right. And they feel if, if the provinces lift the vaccine mandates, they could be swamped with more, more cases. And our, our hospital, uh, our healthcare system right now is just right at the limits. Nur- nurses and doctors have been working their butts off for the last two years. Yep. And there's those who feel that it's it's time, you know, for two years we've had these mandates and restrictions and lockdowns put on us. They're fed up with it. They're sick and tired of it. And they just somehow want to get on with some sense of normalcy in their life. And the biggest sufferers of this that I've asked around what I've seen are kids. You know, kids, uh, you can blink your eye one day and school's open, the next day it's closed. You know, and kids are social creatures. They need to interact with other kids. They need to do sports. And they've lost a lot of that over the last two years. And they're the ones whose well-beings are suffering the most. The, the thing that sparked this, uh, the Freedom Convoy protest, you know, ostensibly anyway, was the, um, was the cross-border uh, uh, mandates that came into place on both sides of the border, um, effectively, uh, uh, in January. But, I mean, I, I get the sense, like, re- reading um, about Canada's response to the, the pandemic and, and knowing what I know about how things have played out in most places here in the United States, that there's a little bit of a, 
there's a, there's a difference there. Um, do you have do you have the same feeling uh, in that regard? Are there other you know vaccine in particular mandates in Canada that aren't just don't exist in the U.S. Um, or are we talking about a lot of the the lockdowns, the uh, the forced closure of certain businesses? Uh, was it did it go on longer in Canada than it did in the U.S.? Um, has it been more extensive? The lockdowns in Canada have gone. Uh, on a lot longer, a lot okay. longer than the United States. You know, when this COVID was in full swing, say about a year ago, right. I was, you know, I was, I did some runs down to uh, to Detroit and Chicago, Kentucky, and so on. And I was, uh, my, I, you know, I was had that deer in the headlight look because I saw so very few people wearing masks, and I saw people just going about their their daily business, right, right. at truck stops or wherever. Whereas up in Canada. You know, full mask. You couldn't get into a store without a mask. You couldn't get into a restaurant without a mask. And sports were canceled and so on. So I think the lockdowns in Canada uh, hit harder than the United States. And they were enforced more uh, okay. than in the United States. Now, with with the cross-border vaccines, um, well, I have never I have never been formally asked to show proof of vaccine to any, uh, you know, U.S. border agent. I've ne- I've never, you know, I, right. I'd say I would say, do you want to see my proof of vaccine? And they normally say no. They just want your paperwork for your load coming in. Right. Whereas I mean, that's that's side, only been in place, Mike, since the twenty second of last month. So you, but you've crossed since then, obviously. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah I've crossed at I've crossed at Sweetgrass Coots. I've crossed at uh, Carway, which is west of that. I've crossed at Del Benita which is west of that. And I've crossed at the Eastport Kingsgate. And right. I, I have never had an officer ask me, you know, I want to see proof of vaccine. Are you not coming in? Whereas on the Canada side, it's a different story. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you cross at a Canada border, uh, take Sweetgrass, for example, or uh, Eastport, Idaho. They want you to roll up to the booth. They want you to have a mask on. They want to see uh proof of uh, vaccination and this is something that's interesting for canadian truckers to go across the border back into canada the government put out this thing called arrive canada app right right and you you had to register for this yeah i'm familiar Uh, with a lot of us truckers have to do it too yeah okay and it's tied into your passport so when you roll up to the booth, you give them the paperwork for your load, you give them your passport, and when they scan your passport, it shows on your passport that you've been vaccinated or right. if you haven't been vaccinated, right? right. And because if you, you can put that in that Arrive Canada app, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No. And if you arrive at the border and you haven't been vaccinated, uh, speaking with a customs officer at, uh, at Coots just before the protest happened, I asked him, I said, so if I roll through here and I'm not vaccinated, take me through the steps. What's going on? He says, you're allowed to deliver your load. You have to go home. And then I said, in quarantine, I said, well, what if your home is 900, 1,000 miles away? That are you allowed to get a load to take home? He says, yes, but you can't deliver it, which, which makes total sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, sure. <laughs> The situation, the situation, Todd, is really fluid, fluid up here, right? I mean, yes, you have the protest stage, the coups, you have one, in, the big one in Ottawa, 
You have smaller ones that go for a few days, say at Sumas, Washington, or or, or or down there. Sumas, Washington is just south of uh, uh, Vancouver. That's the commercial port for trucks out of the Vancouver area to cross. So they, they've had a protest down there. And uh, so the situation's fluid in the sense that uh, things are changing, but the protesters are still staying there. They're still getting donations coming in. They're still getting support and food. And what happened uh, at Coots this last weekend here, Coots and Sweetgrass, Coots on the Canada side, the RCMP there, they're in force. They have like 40, 40 vehicles there and about six tactical units down there. Um, wow. And they're stopping people from, they were st- this weekend they were stopping people from delivering diesel fuel and gas the trucks and the protesters down there and they were stopping people from delivering firewood because they're having you know bonfires in the middle of the median there to stay warm right, right so right. that developed this weekend and yesterday in ottawa police confiscated a lot of gas and and diesel you know out of jerry cans and so on from 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 truckers and, and supporters and then today they gave it all back there's a lot of uh okay we're, we're gonna we're gonna. We're just gonna wait this out, and then oh well, maybe we should try a little bit harder line. Well, maybe we don't want to do that, you know. You know, that's a lot of mixed messages. Well, going you have on. to. You have to look at you know for every step, you know whether it be the 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 law enforcement in in, in the municipalities or you know or the government for that matter. This is a well-organized protest, Todd. This wasn't yeah. just thrown together. This is well-organized. They have a command center in, in, in Ottawa uh, where the convoy organizers are working out of. They have one in, in, in Coots there down by the Sweetgrass. This is well-funded. It's funded uh, you know, from people donating, not just across North America, but from all over the world. It's organized, and they are stressing that it be peaceful. And it is being peaceful. There was one or two incidents in Ottawa, you know, you right. might have heard of. Oh, yeah. But when you figure there's thousands of people down there, one or two instances, you know, says a lot about the conduct of the organizers and the protesters and the supporters. Since we talked, that seems to have more or less remained the case, though. I know plenty will argue it's truly an open question whether entire blockades of major arteries across the border can really be described as peaceful. Murchison and I didn't talk about it that day, but as we spoke, the very biggest crossing at Detroit and Windsor, Ontario, across the Ambassador Bridge, accounting for roughly 40% of all U.S.-Canada trade volume by some estimates, had been mostly shut down itself, and as of yesterday, February 10th, remained so. I spoke to Murchison this morning, February 11th again, and he noted the Ontario government had declared a state of emergency and were threatening fines, license suspensions, and more for those impeding that bridge's traffic. And out in Alberta, similar ramp-ups and enforcement activity were underway. With respect to the Ontario border, the blocking of the bridge is essentially made illegal, said Ontario Premier Doug Ford. A BBC report on the emergency order noted protesters might face as much as a year in jail and $100,000 in fines. Quote, there will be consequences and they will be severe, Ford said. My talk with Murchison earlier in the week turned here to the view from afar of Canadian leadership in Ottawa and the unwillingness to engage with protesters at all, even as some provincial governments across Canada seem to be having a better time of it, in a sense, though clearly not all of them. 
there seems to be a real lack of uh, empathy here, like on the part of uh, the, the folks in charge up there and, you know, just the, the unwillingness to, to actually engage at all um, in some cases and, you know, and to belittle in, in others, but yeah. Um, I'll address that uh, simply by saying you're correct. <laughs> okay. uh, the, the, the prime minister uh, and, and his party that's empowered the liberal party uh, have been very, you know, uh, distant about this. Yeah. Um, they don't. They don't want to interact with any organizers of the convoy. That's what the the convoy organizers are asking for. Sit down at the table and let's talk. But the prime minister doesn't want to do that. Uh, he's keeping his distance, and his and uh, the minister of transport is just you know criticizing this thing as a bunch of you know hooligans and people who are messing up the economy and disrupting people's lives, right? And so. Right. There is the lack of wanting to communicate, and so that 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 addresses the question. Okay, if the leaders of your country don't want to talk to to representatives of these thousands of people across the country, what does that say about the leader of the country? To me, it says he's not much of a leader, and mm -hmm. this is not going to go away anytime soon. I mean, these protests may change form a bit, you know. But it's not going to go away anytime soon because I, I honestly believe, and a lot of people do, that a sleeping giant has been woken up here. You know, the Canadian, um, the Canadian Trucking Associations, uh, though, have, have, have uh, expressed um, no support, I think, of the tactics that are being, uh, that are being deployed here. Uh, they, they are, I think, vocally in agreement on on the notion of the cross-border vaccine mandate and, and that it should be uh, not required. But down here on the U.S. side, it, with the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association yesterday actually sent, formally sent letters to both, uh, both governments on both sides to request that that, that vaccine mandate be removed. Uh, but the other major trucking associations have been pretty mum on that, though, have have actually actively fought uh, vaccine mandates uh, other, otherwise that have been attempted by the Biden administration down here. Um, do you, do you <clears throat> am I right about that in terms of the uh, Canadian Trucking Associations, at least agreeing on that part of, of, of what's happening here? Yeah, you're definitely right. You know, they don't support the way this protest is going on. Um, some things they agree with. Uh, and that was made well known right at the start of this, that the Canadian Trucking Association does support this. But when you look at the Canadian Trucking Association, I mean, they're interested in, in business and, and keeping yeah. business fluid and going. And uh, I see their point, you know, because at the end of the day, Todd, this is going to end, right? At some point, these these big convoys and protests, and so on, they're going to end and people are going to have to get back to business at hand. Right. Making a living, making the truck payments, paying their family, and all that stuff, right? Yep. Um, and you have customers to go to. Yep. And at some point, you're going to have to face your customers. So I see where the CTA is coming from here. That's CTA, the Canadian Trucking Alliance, somewhat akin to the American Trucking Associations on this side of the border. When I was speaking about, quote-unquote, Canadian Trucking Associations, 
I was also thinking about the smaller private motor truck council as well, which had been vocal in opposition to the cross-border vaccine requirements. They may not approve of the fact that, you know, these protests are going on across the country and they're, they're, they're down at Coots and they're in Ottawa and they're in Sumas and they're in Regina and Calgary, right? Because their, their main interest is business, right? The, the, yep. the box stores, the Costco's, the Walmarts and all those. I, I get that. I understand. And they're entitled to their opinion. But, uh, I mean, the convoy uh, protest organizations, they've let it be known that they're very much aware that the Canadian Trucking Association doesn't support this, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. But they, but they, but they are in agreement that uh, that the the cross border vaccine mandate should not be in place. I think. Okay. Yeah, they are. They are yeah. definitely. Yeah. But the protest problem. ultimately is about. It ends up being about more than that, right? It's kind of sparked by. By by this this thing that's uh, very spe- some somewhat specific, not entirely specific, but uh, very very vital to uh, a community of truckers that are basically going to lose their their lanes uh, if they if they don't have the vaccine. But it, it it's become something much larger. In terms of your sense of of it all, um, how much of of this at this point is still about? the trucking piece of that and and how much is about much more than that i think it started it started as protests from truckers regarding the vaccine mandates it's right. morphed into something much bigger which deals with um threats to the charter of rights and freedoms here in canada you know we have a constitution we have the charter of rights and freedoms that guarantee citizens of the country certain rights Right. That is yeah, like the Bill of Rights down here, basically. It allows people the right to peace, order and good government, freedom from hatred, freedom from discrimination and so on and so forth like that. And this is what this has morphed into now, Todd. It's about rights and freedoms uh, of Canadian citizens and how with these lockdown mandates and so on in the last two years, these rights are slowly getting whittled away little by little because the government keeps moving the goalpost, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, we locked down the schools. Now it's time to stop the, um, stop the recreational uh, activity with kids, right? And you can't gather in groups of any more than 20, and you can't do this and you can't do that. And the other thing is inflation because of this is going through the roof up here. Uh, what groups of people in in Canada were required to get the vaccine as a function of their employment, if if any, uh, before this cross border mandate? Were truck, were most people were voluntarily taking it? I'm guessing, or or were folks required? Because and down here in the U.S., not a lot of people have actually been required to do to take the vaccine. I think uh, sometimes in in the healthcare space, well, definitely in the healthcare space, there's been some mandates coming from employers and I think there's a federal one there as well, but, um, just generally, you know, the government has not required folks to, to actually do that. Um, has that been, has, is that a difference uh, in Canada too? Let's just say it was a mutual agreement. Okay. And I'll explain that. Okay. There are companies here, not just in the trucking sector, that when all this came down, they required their employees to be vaccinated. They right, forced right. them to. They, they required them to be vaccinated, or in a lot of cases, they could go look for another job. Right. 
with us, the company that I'm working with and so on, it was understood that when these vaccine mandates came down for the cross-border trucking, right, you were put in a position where you could choose not to get the vaccine and not go down in the United States, but then you would need to look for another job because we, the company that I work with, we that's all we do is cross-border. Right. Right. And we had uh, we had a number of fellas that were taking a hard, hard look at that, wondering whether it would be worth it to get the vaccine. So it was an understanding that, well, if you want to if you want to keep doing what you're doing because the mandates came down, it might yeah. be in your best interest to get the vaccine. That's 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 how it played out. And it's like like I say, it's not it's not forced on them, but you're backed into a corner. If you want to continue doing what you're doing for a living then you have to make that decision. But coercion, yeah, maybe, I'd say. I held off, to be quite honest with you, to until October. Okay. Of this, this past year, okay? Um, simply because there was too much information out there, pros and cons. Mm -hmm. uh, there hasn't been a long enough test period, you know, yeah. like vaccines and the side effects and so on and so forth. And I held off until October, till it got to a point where I just wasn't able to do a lot of things because I didn't have the vaccine. And it's like, you know, why am I pushed in this corner? I disagree with being forced to take the vaccine, right. but I had the choice whether to do it or not. And I decided uh, I'll, I'll get it. And I've had no effects from it. My wife has no had no effects from it. I have two sons who are dead set against it. Really? Okay. Absolutely dead, dead against it. Right. And I respect, I respect their, their decisions and their reasons why. Okay. So, but they don't travel across, they don't travel out of country and they don't travel across uh, provincial borders. Right. Um, Are they in drinking? So I, uh, my one boy is, he, uh, he hauls hopper bottoms, hauls grain around the Saskatoon, Saskatchewan area local and he goes around he, he's home every night and my oldest son clayton he's a he's a he's a red seal carpenter he specializes in concrete that's what he oh, does okay. and then to a certain degree you know i saw the writing on the wall as far as i'm concerned with what i do for a living and i thought you know i enjoy what i do for a living I asked the U.S. Department of Homeland Security about the timing of their decision-making around requiring vaccination of essential truckers crossing the border. Likewise, about any coordination with the Canadian government in terms of requiring the same. Did not receive response in time for this podcast. The earliest mention I can find of plans for vaccination requirements for non-U.S. citizens entering the country, without a caveat exempting essential workers, indeed emerged around the time that Murchison talked about there when he began to see the writing on the wall and made the moves toward the vaccine. As for me, by then I myself was getting a booster's worth of the Pfizer product. My young daughter had a minor COVID bout a few weeks ago that put her in remote school for a few days. I never picked up the virus myself. Canada watches the U.S. very closely, right? As yeah. to what they're doing, what, the, what their policies are, their, their domestic policies and foreign policies. Yeah. I don't know if the U.S. is watching Canada as, as close as Canada watches the U.S. Because we have a vested interest in, in our biggest trading partner, right? Yeah. And if, if you couldn't get these trucks across the border, right, uh, because of vaccine mandate stuff, 
uh, you'd have a real problem. I know uh, Southern Ontario, a uh, big manufacturing area, um, you know, uh, there's 36 million people across the country. They all require food, right? Building supplies, the whole nine yards, right? So yep. um, this is why I think Canada went this route uh, to to uh, to embrace and keep uh, keep the trade going between the two countries. Essentially, Murchison's saying he feels U.S. moves toward requiring vaccination of essential travelers coming into the country provided the spark for Canada's own move in that direction and, one might say, the consequences of these protests. In any event, here's a big thanks to owner-operator Murchison for his time and insight. And as you may well know, my, given my esteemed colleague, uh, long-haul Paul Marhofer's profile of Murchison several weeks back, Part of Paul's long-running Faces of the Road series of oral histories and interviews, Murchison's quite the songwriter. You can find his music via the streaming platforms, including a new single, One More I Chance. Had a friend of mine die of cancer. In, in the course of a year, he went from a, a big man, six foot four, you know, linebacker build. He was a trucker for years, and he got stomach cancer. And in the course of the year, he whittled away to nothing, and he couldn't. He couldn't take visitors because the COVID was going on, and it really hit me. And uh, so I just wrote a song. Uh, it's not about a specific topic. It's about how we get up in the morning, hit the ground running, run too fast, you know, work too hard, and we don't quite pay attention to the small things, you know. Like the last verse goes, hug your children, love your family, be the one the good Lord intended you to be. Take the high road, you'll walk tall, and be amazed by the beauty of it all. It's an up-tempo song kind of got a Johnny Cash beat to it you know but it's a song just about reminding people to, to just stop and take a look about what's important in life the owner operator also wrote and videoed himself performing a tune inspired by the early parts of the Freedom Convoy that you can find a link to in the post that houses this podcast for February 11th 2022 at overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with acoustic guitar and other additional support from Overdrive Extra contributing writer and trucker songwriter, Long Haul Paul Marhofer. The podcast is backed up further by Overdrive News Editor Matt Cole, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, and Executive Editor Alex Lockie. Till next time, keep it proactive.